I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Music in My Life with me, Laura Wright, the show where we talk about the music we love so much, our relationship with that music and the role it plays in our life. What is it about music that taps into our emotions and why does it make us feel a certain way? Now I asked on my social media what you wanted to hear and learn about next and you chose icons of the music world. Are you ready? So it just isn't possible in the short time that we have together to talk about every icon in music. We'd be here forever. But I have chosen three people who I feel are iconic for many different reasons, as well as being alive during very, very different times. With each of these people, I'm going to talk about the fact that they don't set out to become iconic. I feel like these people were just being themselves. They were living their passion, living their dream, and they just wanted to share their love of music with the world. Each of these people have become known for very different reasons, and it is my absolute pleasure to tell you all about their lives and their music. So, what is an icon? What makes someone iconic? We can find icons everywhere we look, not just in the music industry, and we all have our own icons in life. We have personal icons and people that we admire for many reasons. We can talk about family being icons. Your mum, your dad, your brother or your sister might be someone who inspires you. And icons are inspirational people. They force us to question things and they inspire us to want to become better or to understand more about what they do. Icons in the music world for me are individuals who have so many different attributes. They're remembered and they're celebrated for their talent, for their musicianship, their musical intelligence, their message within music, and of course, their legacy. So I've tried to make this as bite-sized as possible. And with that in mind, we're going to talk about each icon's life and background, a particular moment in music for them their unique talent and their legacy. So let's get into it. My first chosen icon is a black female singer and pianist. Her birth name was Eunice Kathleen Wayman and she was born February 21st, 1933. She was the sixth of eight children and grew up in North Carolina to a very poor family. Due to her unique talent as a pianist, first and foremost, friends and family in her hometown gathered together and they helped her to enroll in the Juilliard School of Music in New York City. It's probably one of the most prestigious music schools there is in the entire world. But when the money dried up, she had to somehow earn a living. 
and she started playing music in nightclubs and piano bars. And that's also where she began to sing too, because piano playing simply wasn't enough. She needed to entertain more. So it was demanded that she started singing. She didn't learn to sing. She just had to do it as part of the job. And it was then that she changed her name. And that was in order to keep her playing a secret from her parents. She chose the first name Nina because of a nickname a recent boyfriend had for her, deriving from the Spanish word Nina. And she chose the surname Simone, which came from her love for the French actress Simone Signore. Yes, I am talking about the one and only Nina Simone. Now let's talk about a moment in music for Nina Simone. It's important to know about her first experience of performing in a concert. It really sets the scene for the the pathway that her career took from there. She was age 12 and the concert was taking place in a library. So she was really young and her parents were moved to the back of the room to make more room for white people. Nina then refused to play until they were moved to the front again and were able to watch and enjoy their daughter's concert. And it was this experience that sowed the seed for her to become part of the civil rights movement that would happen in the 60s. And it was perhaps this moment that led to her iconic status as a musician during that time. So once on the music scene around 1959, Nina released distinctive versions of jazz and cabaret standards, including I Loves You, Porgy. But it was when the 60s came that her musical message began to shift to being more political. And that was in response to the institutionalized racial discrimination that was going on in the United States at that time. And of course, for many years prior, she began to use her platform to share a message that she believed in, a message about racial injustice in America. And that music, I'm sure, gave people hope and something they could share in together. And I know it does still today. Moving on to her unique talent. Well, there are many when it comes to someone like Nina Simone, but her unique talent for me was writing music that had a strong political message, but somehow being performed to an audience gave way to this new way of communicating feelings and emotions of what was happening in the world that she knew. She could portray that message through her music, through her voice, through her fingertips on the piano. And her voice is so distinctive. And we have to remember here that she lived in a time when auto-tune did not exist. So what you hear is true to every note and every breath. It's real. And if we talk about her voice technically, it's actually not always in tune or perfectly in pitch. Her dynamics are when she gets loud and softer, they're, they're never quite consistent. And she has this really, really loud, booming lower register, which for me almost kind of blurs the line between a male and a female voice when you listen. But it's these imperfections in her voice that make it just so unforgettable. So let's first have a listen to her 1964 song, Mississippi Goddamn. And this was became one of her most well-known protest songs about racial injustice. She composed this whole piece in less than an hour. The reaction to this song that was released in in 1964, just as a single, was actually quite mixed as well. It became an anthem of the civil rights movement, but it was also banned in certain southern states. And the promotional copies that were sent to radio stations were actually returned with each record broken in two, which is so sad. I'll read you some of the opening lyrics to this song to give you an idea of the frustrations that Nina and so many others were feeling at the time. In the song, she references Alabama. 
Tennessee and Mississippi, which were just some of the places where these racially motivated murders were happening and with no justice. The lyrics go like this. The name of this tune is Mississippi Goddamn, and I mean every word of it. And she speaks those first two lines. Then she sings, Alabama's gotten me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest. And everybody knows about Mississippi Goddamn. Can't you see it? Can't you feel it? It's all in the air. Let's have a listen to some of Mississippi Goddamn. I don't know. I don't know. You don't have to live next to me. Just give me my equality Cause everybody knows about Mississippi Everybody knows about Alabama Everybody knows about Mississippi God damn I think it's so clear there as well, the juxtaposition of what she's singing about and what she's narrating a story of, yet the music and the rhythms underneath are are quite positive and uplifting. And it's such a contrast. I think it tricks the audience into listening to what she has to say, but in a somehow acceptable structure within the music. It's quite amazing. Now, she also released songs of absolute positivity, like 1965's Feeling Good. We couldn't not have a listen to that one today. It was originally written, actually, for a Broadway musical called The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd. And it was written by English composers Anthony Newley and Leslie Bracuse. Now, Nina's version was arranged and produced by Hal Mooney, and it was recorded in New York in 1965 and appeared on her album I Put a Spell on You. We're going to listen to a section near the end of this song, and that shows Nina scat singing. This is another unique talent of Nina's, and if you haven't heard of scat singing before, I'll try and explain it to you. It's where there's a section of music that contains no words or lyrics, just sounds. Sounds that come from just pure passion and emotion, and they help to build tension during the song. In this case, it's the build up to the very end, and for me, they show Nina's originality and the ability to adapt a song that isn't her own and sets her apart from any other singer. She has a freedom and expression with music that makes it so hard not to sit up and listen. Here's Nina Simone's Feeling Good. I mean, if that isn't powerful music, I don't know what is. I would also say that if you fancy having a go at scat singing, you absolutely should because it is so fun to do. You can literally make any sound that you want. So you could go <laughs> That's my version of scat singing. But have a go at home because it really is quite fun. And you don't have to be able to sing to do it. Um, anyway, let's move on to her legacy. So it's worth mentioning when Nina Simone re- released albums or singles, they, were, they weren't chart toppers at the time. Her legacy has continued to build after her death and it's still being reassessed today even. Some of the things that have happened since her death, for example, in 2015, there was a documentary called What Happened, Miss Simone by Liz Garbus that drew attention to her contribution to music. As well as 
being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018. And also her childhood home has been preserved as a national treasure by National Trust for Historic Preservation. And her legacy lives on, of course, as a civil rights activist and a gifted artist. She used her abilities as a singer-songwriter, a pianist, a composer and an arranger to spread a message about her beliefs during a time where it was actually quite dangerous to do so. She gave a voice to the voiceless and that voice was one of absolute defiance. That is Nina Simone. We're now moving on to our next icon of the music world. I should say we're moving backwards because we're going to an icon of the classical world. We're going all the way back to the 1700s. I'm going to tell you about the life and music of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And while I chat, we're going to listen to the Lacrimosa from his Requiem in D minor. Let's have a little listen to the opening of that piece now. I actually find myself moving my arms around when I listen to that piece. It's so tempting to, I don't know, pretend that you're a conductor and sort of imagine that you're in control of this beautiful music that you're hearing. So let's get started on Mozart's life and background. Mozart was regarded as iconic during his lifetime and still is regarded as one of the greatest composers of Western music today. He composed music in so many different genres that were popular at the time. And he was basically pretty good at anything he tried his hand at. And when I say pretty good, he was ridiculously good. Mozart was the kind of guy in your class who knew everything. He was writing music from the age of five. He started by learning the piano and the violin from such a young age. And if you'd have heard me attempt to play the violin when I was younger, you would understand why my parents suggested changing to singing lessons. <laughs> you know, that kind of scratchy sound that you're not meant to make. That was me when I gave the violin a go. I won't give you a long biography of Mozart, but I do want to tell you about is just how much he achieved in his lifetime, which was sadly very short. He died at the age of 35. In total, he wrote more than 600 works, which was made up of operas, symphonies, requiems, concertos, chamber music and choral music. So when we want to talk about his unique talent, well, his unique talent was the fact that he could write pretty much anything. If um, you don't know much about the, the names of the pieces I just mentioned, I'll tell you a little bit more about that now. So he wrote operas, and operas are a dramatic work in one or more acts set to music for singers and instrumentalists. He wrote symphonies. Now, a symphony is an elaborate musical composition for full orchestra, and it's typically in four movements, so four sections, and at least one of those sections is in a traditional sonata form. So that's a classical form in terms of structure. He wrote Requiems, of course, the Requiem we can hear in the background there. It's a musical composition setting parts of a Requiem mass or of a similar character. So in a way, it's a, a peaceful um, 
piece of music you might hear at someone's funeral, for example, sending them off into heaven. A concerto, which of course he wrote them too, is a musical composition for a solo instrument or instruments accompanied by an orchestra. So you may hear perhaps a solo violin and then orchestra interspersed. And it's normally one that's conceived on quite a big scale. So these are, a concerto is, is quite an undertaking if you were to do that as an instrumentalist or a performer. He wrote choral music, which is music sung by a choir with two or more voices on each part. So you might have sopranos very high in the voice, altos slightly lower, tenors, the higher of the male voices and basses right the way down the bottom. And of course, he also wrote chamber music, which is instrumental music played by a small ensemble with one player to a part. In fact, you probably know the most traditional form of that would be the string quartet. I had a string quartet at my wedding, actually. It was very lovely. And that gives you an idea of how broad Mozart's talents were. Let's talk about his moment in music. Now, for this, there are, of course, too many to mention. He developed so many genres within classical music by pushing the boundaries. He paved the way for many classical composers and their masterpieces that came in the future. I will choose an example of his unique talent by telling you a little bit more about his final work, his Requiem in D minor. And as I mentioned, we listened to the start of the Lacrimosa there. Now, there's a lot of unknowns about this particular piece. Of course, being way back in the 1700s, it was hard to note everything down. For example, WhatsApp did not exist. But during his final years in Vienna, Mozart was asked to compose a requiem by an unknown nobleman, which was left largely unfinished at the time of his death, as I say, at the very young age of 35. Now, Requiem has short separate pieces with Latin names and Mozart had only finished the Requiem and Kyrie movements in full. Everything else was not finished. There were basically rough sketches of ideas, uh, maybe for a bass line or perhaps a little bit of a melody here and there. And Constanza, Mozart's wife, was left with the responsibility of not only dealing with her husband's death, but of getting this requiem finished. Otherwise, they wouldn't get any money. And that was a big thing at the time because classical music may have made you popular, but it didn't always make you rich. So she asked Joseph von Ebler, a friend of Mozart's, and Franz Javier Sussmeier, one of his former pupils, to help finish the requiem. And actually, it was even signed with a forged signature of Mozart's. Mozart's wife, Constanza, then delivered it to this nobleman who had commissioned the piece. It turned out his name was Count Franz von Walzeg and basically made up so many stories of how Mozart had written it that there basically was no proof anymore. So she was she was pretty good at hiding the truth. Now, the nobleman himself, it seemed, wanted to claim the work as his own and have it played on the anniversary of his wife's death. But you can pretty clearly see that this is Mozart's work, even though he didn't write every note. His pupils who were inspired by him carried on his work. That's how much they loved and admired him as a composer. And of course, it is one of his most loved pieces still today. Let's talk about his legacy. Here's a quote by Einstein about Mozart. As an artist, as a musician, Mozart was not a man of this world. And that's high praise from someone like Albert Einstein. Mozart was incredibly skilled in the art of composition and improvisation, and he excelled in so many different genres. It's something that has never really been done since by a classical or contemporary composer. 
And at the Salzburg Festival every year around the time of Mozart's birthday, there literally are concert after concert of Mozart's music in celebration of his life. He inspired composers like Beethoven and Haydn, and he also just wanted to please the public. So if we imagine him now, much of his music was based on something called the ton- tonic, dominant and subdominant. It's the first, fourth and fifth of a key in terms of if you're looking at the piano and the notes. And actually, that's really similar to the genre of rock and roll today. Status quo, for example, they show that they use these old formulas, even from Mozart way back in the 1700s, because they just work. They, they work for our ears as music and we love listening to it. Some of Mozart's most memorable tunes in his opera, The Magic Flute, are based on really, really simple harmonic structures. So I hope that gives you an example of just how incredible Mozart was during his lifetime and his legacy. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, it's Ben Bidwell here, otherwise known as The Naked Professor. I'm popping up to say the brand new series of The Naked Professor's podcast is now live. We're all about having deep and vulnerable discussions about what's really going on and how people are really feeling and dealing with the challenges in their lives. Each episode features a round table of incredible guests. You can expect to hear things like this. You know, the father I was a year ago is different to the father I am now. Past months have been more up and down than I've ever experienced. My stress levels have been elevated since the show came out. I've been working really hard to try and hold the good and the bad in my life at the moment. These conversations are more important now than ever before. So if you want to tune in, then subscribe to the Naked Professors podcast wherever you found this one. Okay, we're moving on to our last, our final, our third icon, an Icelandic living legend. I am talking about the infamous Bjork. Let's talk a little bit more about her life and background. Bjork was born in 1965 and her mother was an activist and her father was an electrician and a union leader. 
And she grew up in Iceland and is known as, well, many things, a singer, a songwriter, a record producer, an actor and a DJ. And through her career, she's developed a crazy eclectic musical style that draws on so many influences and genres. I mean, anything goes with Bjork, you know, for example, electronic, pop, experimental, trip hop, classical, avant-garde, you know, you could just keep going. She's been awarded five Brit Awards. She's had 15 Grammy nominations. She's also been given the Order of the Falcon. How cool does that sound? This is an Icelandic award that represents merit and humanity. She's also won Best Actress Award at the Cannes Film Festival, which was for her role Dancer in the Dark. And she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song from the soundtrack of the same film. And that song was called I've Seen It All, which features Tom York. You'd know him from Radiohead. Now, she grew up studying classical piano and flute. There's classical music again. And was scouted at a school recital, which led to a very, very young Bjork being offered a record deal in Iceland. Her self-titled debut album was released in 1977 and that was a compilation of traditional Icelandic folk songs. Get this, she was only 11 years old. I feel like such an underachiever. (laughs) A casual debut album at 11. She's since played with various groups of musicians before joining the band The Sugar Cubes in 1986 where she had success And, well, huge success, in fact. But once they disbanded, she then became a solo artist, which was in the early 90s. And that's where many of us will know and remember her from. So, was there a defining moment in her career that led to her iconic status? Was it perhaps her debut LP and single that was released in 1993 called Human Behaviour? It showed her childlike vocals and her unique pronunciation of words. I suppose for me, there have been many moments in music and career for Bjork. She always shocks us with her fashion sense, her unusual and eclectic mix of musical genres and styles, and her onstage presence is, for me, undeniably iconic. She's someone that I feel like you could get easily obsessed with. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about her voice. So her voice has very unique sounds and expressions, which I've never heard before, and they really have become iconic to her creative talents, as well as her lyrics, which if you listen a little closer, they're quite conversational. They're less about poetic nuances. They're more about finding the beauty in the everyday. And that makes sense as she's allegedly obsessed with nature and everything that's all around us that's natural. Here are two really good examples of how different Bjork's voice can sound. So the first shows her fragility and her childlike voice. And the second you'll hear is her at her most passionate, unapologetic and ferocious. They are both from the same song, which is called I've Seen It All, recorded with Tom York and the song that gained her an Academy Award. Let's have a listen to these two excerpts now.
Wow. So you can hear how many characters and colors there are in her voice there. And also what's really interesting is where she breathes. She breathes in the most unusual places and they're quite musical, her breaths. Now, I mentioned earlier that Bjork is an actor as well as a performer. That accolade comes from her role in the film Dancer in the Dark. And one of my favorite songs of hers comes from the soundtrack of this movie. For me, this was absolutely a moment in music where time stood still. To set the scene for you, the film is about an immigrant factory worker who suffers from a degenerative eye condition and is trying to raise funds to pay for treatment for her son so that he doesn't suffer the same fate. Now, a bit of a warning about this film, the ending, which I will talk about now, is absolutely heartbreaking and I really wouldn't suggest watching it alone. Um, The film was directed by Danish director Lars von Trier and Bjork played the leading role as well as composing the soundtrack for the film. Just casual, you know, I'll write the theme tune, sing the theme tune, I'll I'll act in it as well. Um, Its premiere was in 2000 and it received a standing ovation. There was some controversy, but it was awarded the prestigious Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival. Now at the climax of the film near the very end Bjork's character is about to be hanged for her crimes. Now when I say crimes essentially money has been stolen, um, someone has been killed but everything is with the premise that she's desperately scrambling to raise funds for her son so it's from a place of love for her child to save her child from that fate that she is so very scared of. Now just before she's about to be hung She is told by one of her friends who runs up to her that her son's operation has been a total success. She hands her a pair of glasses that he no longer needs and that he will be able to see. Now Bjork at this moment closes her eyes and she begins to sing a cappella. There's no music, it's just her voice. And there is a verse of lyrics before the song that's played during the credits where I genuinely, I don't think I breathed when I listened to it. I couldn't take my eyes off what was happening, but I didn't want to watch at the same time. And I just, as I mentioned earlier, everywhere she breathed was musical. Her in-breath was musical as well as the notes that she was singing. Now, I just want to read out the lyrics that we hear her sing before we have a listen to the opening of New World, which is the song played during the credits. She says, Dear Jean, that's her son, of course you are here. And now it's nothing to fear. I should have known. I was never alone. This isn't the last song. There is no violin. The choir is so quiet and no one takes a spin. This is the next to last song. And that's all. All. Remember what I have said. Remember, wrap up the bread. Do this. Do that. Make your bed. This isn't the last song. There is no violin. The choir is quiet and no one takes a spin. This is the next to last song, and that's all. Let's have a listen to this beautiful piece of music. Oh, so good. If you get the opportunity to listen to that piece of music, New World in full, please do. It is a beautiful, beautiful piece. On to her legacy. 
With Bjork still breaking boundaries now in the music world, it's really hard to say what her true legacy will be. But I think you can see it all around us already. Her fashion sense has inspired people like Lady Gaga and other artists with her unique outfits. Her childlike voice is constantly emulated by singers in the charts today, singers like Billie Eilish, and her sense of humour and stage presence is like no other. In fact, like all of our icons today, they are breaking down the barriers and stigmas attached to certain areas of music. For them, there is no set way of doing things in the world of the arts, and it's that confidence in their own talents that makes them intriguing, inspiring and iconic. I really hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and please make sure you join me to hear about my next guest's music in his life. He's worked and performed with Freddie Mercury, and I've had the pleasure of singing with him myself. And I really can't wait to hear all of the wonderful stories he has to share with us all. So do join me next time for Music In My Life. I'll see you soon. I really hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and I'd love to hear about your favourite piece of music. So make sure you pop a comment on Apple Reviews with your song choice and the story behind it. I'm going to be reading out some of your stories in an upcoming minisode. Also, we've now put our guest song choices in the show notes. So if you want to hear any of their songs again, you can find them there. Thanks so much, guys, and see you next time. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.